Welcome to the Pod of the Sleepiest, your fortnightly healthcare technology podcast for the technical crowd. Sponsored by the American Statistical Association and the Institution of Engineering and Technology. We're bringing the technical experts of engineering, entrepreneurship, data science and regulation straight to your earbuds. No fluff, no sale pictures, just important technical ideas described well to keep you up to date. All in the time it takes to get to work. And here's your host, Glenn Wright Colopy. Hey folks, welcome back to the show. Today I'm really excited to be introducing the first professional society, the ASA section on medical devices and diagnostics. It's really great to welcome Martin Ho and Greg Maislin onto the show. They've been very supportive, and I'm really looking forward to the content that the MDD section is going to help curate for the podcast. Martin Ho, for those who do not know him, is a fantastic contributor to the statistical community and always a very, very helpful friend to have when it comes to getting things done. Prior to the podcast, I had actually contacted Martin out of the blue for a precision medicine conference. I know he's busy, so I didn't realize how quickly he had responded and said, yeah, we're going to get some people down to it. He and Talbot Yerney both really helped create a really nice program for the conference. So again, it's great to have a familiar face back on the show. So Martin, could you uh, just introduce yourself professionally and then also what you do within the ASA? Hello, everyone. My name is Martin Ho. I'm currently Associate Director of Office of Biostatistics and Epidemiology Center for Biologics uh, at the FDA. I've been in my current center for about uh, a year, and prior to that, I worked in the FDA Center for Devices as their inaugural Associate Director of Quantitative Innovations for 10 years. And uh, my role in my previous center and current center are turning the novel types of data into a regulatory-grade evidence to help inform the regulators to make better decisions. So now that I have moved from devices space into biologics, I have been very actively using the device knowledge that I've obtained from my previous position in my current position. Because for Center for Biologics, we review both medical devices and drugs. So regarding my activities uh, with the ASA, I have been uh, a very lucky person. Uh, Needless to say, I have been a member of ASA for a long time. And I also happens to be uh, one of the founding members of the medical device section. Seeing a section being chartered and then seeing it grow is really wonderful. And for 2019, I had the privilege to serve as a section's uh, program chair. And I'm really proud of being part of the program committee of the JSM 2019. And then stepping and entering into 2020, I will uh, serve the section as its chair. And I was lucky enough to work with the current chair, uh, Zhang Xiang. He had been very generous with his time and experience. So this is how I serve um, the ASA from the medical device and diagnostic sections. In addition to that, in 2017, I have been uh, lucky enough to be chosen to be the FDA Statistical Association's president. And one of the perks of that is to join force with our counterparts from the industry to co-organize and co-chair the ASA Biopharmaceutical Section Regulatory Industry Statistical Workshop. And my partner in crime is uh, Wei Li He from Epi. And at that point, we were trying to think of some new features of the meeting to enrich and improve the attendees' experience of the conferences. So uh, we successfully lobbied for some funding support from the biofarm sections. 
And thanks to everyone's support, the Biostack workshop turns out to be a huge success. Uh, not only that we got oversubscribed at the very early stage of the workshop, but uh, at the end, I have received some very positive feedbacks about the experience and the catering and also the opportunity to rub shoulders with their peer statistician to a uh, cross-pollination. And then following that joint venture with Weili, we have noticed that there is a gap in needs of statistics in the real-world evidence space. So she and I have worked together to establish a scientific working group within biopharma section to do a working group with about 20 different subject matter experts. And we are trying to first get a landscape assessment of the existing state of science about real-world evidence. And we have just entered the stage that we are finishing our manuscript. And then once we submit our manuscript to a journal for publication, then uh, we will announce our next steps. So we have been quite actively disseminated findings and the result of our work to the statistical community. Uh, we have whole presentations at JSM this year and also the Biofarm section this year. And we have submitted our abstract and uh, session proposal to various conferences and meetings in 2020. So please stay tuned. And we are very excited to share what we have found so far. Well, that's fantastic. And I think quite a few members of the ASA community are really looking forward to hearing more about the outcomes of the Real World Evidence Initiative. Um, a lot of the effort and the work that goes into many of these initiatives is trying to bring together people from industry, people from regulatory, people from academia, and bringing those scientists and statisticians together. The ASA medical device and diagnostics section is also a pretty diverse group. Could you uh, describe our membership and what sort of combination it is between industry, academia, and regulatory? That's a fantastic question. As of last week, uh, we have 490 members, and it's a very good balance mix between industry, academic, and regulators. And uh, I would say the group is relatively balanced. And uh, a couple of things that I want to highlight. Our membership is actually quite international. Within our membership, we have people coming from uh, 12 different countries. In addition to Canada and the U.S., we have uh, members uh, coming from Belgium, France, Ireland, Italy, Switzerland, and U.K. And from Asia, we have members from China, India, and Japan. And I also wanted to highlight that we have a very healthy proportion of members are students. We have about uh, 100 student members. So it's not a surprise to me because our session has been working really hard to build the capacity and try to attract our next generations to get their uh, interest into the medical device and diagnostic space. And in addition to that, I think we have been working very hard, just as Glenn, you said, an arena or platform, if you will, for all these people um, with different backgrounds and expertise to compare notes and to grow either academically or uh, professionally. And we have been paying a lot of attention to our members. I think that's something that's always really appreciated, to have the professional societies that aren't just there collecting dues, but are actively engaging their members, finding out what their members need, and providing those opportunities to their members. I think that's one of the places where the MDD section really stands out at the forefront. It is actively engaged with its members and finding out what are sort of the cutting edge, most important things that they're trying to solve now. 
as you know, being somewhat international myself, one thing that I'm always interested in is, you know, the difference in sort of these regulatory structures across countries. And as you mentioned, between the U.S. and Canada, the U.K. and the EU, and then also the countries in Asia like India and China and Japan, those are all very different, for example, regulatory structures. Can you describe a little bit more about the value of bringing these different countries together? Is it for understanding the regulatory framework well? Or is it also helpful to bring these different academic communities together? So a wider range of expertise and also wider ranges of patients who are observing and doing analysis on. You just hit the nail at the head. From medical device section perspective, due to the nature of medical devices, the clinical trials can be extremely expensive. And in addition to that, uh, the ecosystem of the sponsors among our medical device industry is very different from uh, the pharmaceutical companies. So therefore, sharing information, uh, not only from you know, historical data, but also cross-sectionally are very important to help uh, making the medical devices as safe and effective and provide access to patients as early as possible. So therefore, I think in medical device space, I think the Center for Devices uh, at the FDA have very uh, forefront building up an international alliance to harmonize the medical device regulations. And on the top of that, they have been taking spearheading to build an effort in the digital health space, which we can talk about it in a few minutes. But speaking of the advantage of uh, involving people from different countries and different regulatory frameworks is that not only we can get to know better about the source and the quality of the clinical trial data is coming from the other countries, but we would also be able to put our heads together to think of a way so that um, when we are considering the totality of the data, we will be able to decide an appropriate approach for us to weigh different uh, benefits and risks from different countries you know, with different practices of medicines, and we can have a very good assessment about the level of uncertainty around these study results. And in terms of expertise uh, of statistics, of course, just as someone like Glenn and the other people who are, you know, who are from outside U.S. has been greatly you know, support and build up the academic you know, strength within the U.S. And I'm always finding very, you know, fascinating how people are approaching the same questions, the problems, even among statisticians, very differently, using different, uh, you know, methods that they think would be appropriate and familiar with. And for that, I suspect that it's mostly because deep down, uh, everybody is a Bayesian in the sense that we are estimating things uh, not just for the sake of measuring them. But rather, we try to assess or try to gain some evidence to help us to make some decisions. So therefore, different people with different backgrounds, they may have a different framework or a specification of what the problems are. And as a result, uh, we got a different types of analysis and different approaches to try to address the same question. So I think this is one of the perks of being a statistician you know, in the U.S., because uh, we have been able to contact with so many different countries, uh, outstanding statisticians at the same time. And perhaps I would like to also add uh, some of the statements about the recent p-values uh, recently uh, released by the ASA. And I think for the medical devices, the Center for Devices has been very open-minded about uh, interpretation of the p-value in the sense that for the same reason that I just described of the medical device clinical trials, the limitations, we have been trying really hard to maximize the bang for the buck. In other words, 
given the limitation of the sample size is relatively small. So therefore, we wanted to maximize our clinical trial design so that we can maximize the available amount of information that we can learn from a clinical study. But we also very aware of the fact that we, I mean, uncertainties will always uh, live with the clinical trial study result. Because no matter how good we have done the studies, we always have uncertainty about the result. The question is by how much. So therefore, I think from my understanding of the Center for Devices position on that is they always considering the totality of the data. So in other words, the decision will not be driven by only a p-value, but rather they would try to put a context around the, the strength of the evidence and on the top of that, they will consider other types and sources of information to help them to make their decisions. This is really interesting. It's one of the reasons why it's so nice to have you involved with so many of these activities. You know, as an expert, not just evaluating, for example, the efficacy of an intervention, but also the effectiveness of it. As you talked about with the international aspect of this, by having more pieces of information across a number of countries. As you know, clinical practice doesn't just change country to country. It changes from hospital to hospital, for example, or even from a one doctor shift to another. So it's really interesting, and I think it's really important to have experts like you who understand these effects and are really trying to look at the totality of the evidence, as you talked about, and weighing it against all these different pieces of evidence. It's also really nice to have, as you've mentioned, the CDRH taking a very bold and interesting innovative approach, for example, to these Bayesian methods and these p-values, which I think Greg is going to be covering a bit in the next section. One thing that you had talked about, though, is, you know, uh, as far as having a variety of members, that we have a large number of young members in our section offers a lot to young members. Uh, for example, the student paper competition. We also have poster competitions at the joint statistical meetings and things like that. Could you maybe talk about the student paper competition and sort of who that's bringing together and what the section is really looking for and the value in that? Sure. Yeah, thank you very much for asking about uh, the student competition. In fact, I think among all these positions, perhaps the most academically interesting would be being the chair of the student paper competition committee. I think we have been very lucky to be able to attract students with different training backgrounds and approaches to submit their paper for our sessions competition. Uh, for example, last year, 2019, the first prize is coming from Dr. Yu Chen Yin from uh, Hopkins. And the topic is analyzing variable device data using marked point processes. And the second prize is Dr. Tiva Chandarant from Yo, Wisconsin. He constructed a tool for simulation analysis of adaptive Bayesian clinical trial for binomial and normal data. And the third prize is for uh, Christopher Balba, who is currently at NIH. And his paper is about constructed composite endpoint uh, response. It's basically a framework for constructing targeted latent variables. So as you can just hear the last year's three winners, the, the topic, the approach, and their focuses they're all very different. I mean, which reflect the basic nature of the uh, medical device clinical trials. We have a wide variety of topics and subjects that fall under uh, the sections. We are not only interested in the highly structured and highly, let's say, uh, regulated consideration in terms of how to design the clinical trials using a Bayesian adaptive framework, which can, of course, require uh, support 
and by a good assimilation tools. And we also need to have a very good tool to assess the robustness of the results. But moving away from the traditional clinical trial design phase, we also pay attention to different types of measurement or defining the endpoint. So I think the perfect example is how can we use a wearable device data, which is uh, very different from our traditional snapshot type of endpoint, which is at certain endpoint, we just measure one data point. But for wearable device data, it has a much higher frequency and it can be measured in a much longer time in a relatively uncontrolled space. But even though it is not as well-structured or as regular as the clinical trial endpoints, it doesn't mean that we have to throw the information away. Rather, it would be a very important interest for us to see how we can leverage this type of data, which although is not very typical of our traditional clinical trial type of data, but still, that's why we are the statistician, because we are here to help turn new types of data into information that we can use. Yeah, that's really cool. Could you give us just one more example? So, I mean, another example is Dr. Barber's paper is talking about how to construct targeted latent variables. And believe it or not, in social science, latent variable approach has been widely used, but uh, in clinical trial space, it's relatively rare. Still, it doesn't mean that we need to avoid it you know, completely. Rather, we would like to see how we can use that to, to have a better understanding of certain endpoints as nature. So I think it's just the tip of an iceberg about the varieties and the approaches that, you know, the student papers that we have received. I would say that, you know, organizing a student paper competition is a mutual benefit for both who are, you know, evaluating those papers and also who are submitting those papers because our committees are also very eager to provide their feedbacks to these papers to the authors. So again, I think this student paper competition is a perfect reminder to all of us why we are working in statistics in the very first place. I'll tell you what, Martin, it's really great to hear how the sections committee members are really interested in making sure that the students get the most out of the student paper competition not just getting a yes, no, whether they won, but getting the feedback so that they can really learn from this, from a series of experts. And it's really representative of how the section operates, where the committee members are always looking out after not just the most senior members, but the most junior members as well to make sure they get the most out of this. Now, we've mentioned on the periphery phase quite a bit, and it would be great to talk a little bit more about that. So we're going to take a break from part one. And when we come back in part two, we're going to talk about plenty of bays, which is becoming popular not only in the MDD section, which has been covered a lot, but also in the FDA as a whole. And you have a unique perspective on that. So see everyone back in part two. Well, that's it for this episode of the Pod of Asclepius. We hope you enjoyed it and will tune in for our next episode. If you're watching from YouTube, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and leave a like. You can also follow us on our other social media channels, including LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great story or presentation that's ready for prime time, or know someone who does? Drop Glenn an email because he'd be happy to hear from you. We would like to thank our sponsors from the American Statistical Association section on statistical learning and data science, section on medical devices and diagnostics, and North Carolina chapter, as well as the Institution of Engineering and Technology. The views expressed on the show are those of the speaker and not their employers, our sponsors, or anyone else not saying the words.